Welcome to the Path Earth Matters podcast, a podcast which puts a brand and consumer lens on all things people, planet and profit. Join us as we chat with leading thinkers, creators, makers, movers and shakers in the world of all things sustainable. Hello, I'm Maria. And I'm Susie. And this is Earth Matters Live. Today, we're talking to Neil Shackleton. Hello, Neil. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Let me introduce you to our our audience. Neil is founder and packaging expert at Medulla, a collective of sustainable packaging, retail, and supply chain experts. Neil believes in using a pragmatic, data-driven approach to transform businesses and help them find that sweet green spot between planet and profit. He has a wealth of experience advising companies on supply chain, life cycle analysis, and packaging sustainability, including Mars, Unilever, and GSK. Neil is also an accredited packaging professional, as well as a fellow of the Institute of Materials, Minerals, and Mining. So thank you so much for being here today, Neil. Pleasure. And let's dive right in. Okay. Our first question, what brought you to life cycle analysis and sustainable packaging? That's a great first question. So having been involved in, in packaging throughout my career, sustainability has always been there. You know, it's, it's not something which has just suddenly been invented in the last few years, that, but it's gained some, some massive, massive traction because of obviously the media noise around the fact that we need to do something to, to help our planet. So I've been working on sustainable initiatives with clients for 10, 15 years. The, the, the issue around it has always been the fact that there has been sustainability has always had a backseat at the table. So it's always been a nice to have rather than an essential. So when we started looking at sustainability in general, and this is going back probably five years now, a lot of the questions that were coming up that were being posed to us by by both clients and, and in um, you know, consumer groups were around kind of, well, you know, what's this material? Is it better than this material? And it was the quantification process, which even five years ago was rather woolly. Uh, and it was down to personal preference more than anything. It's kind of, you know, sustainability is, is a very emotive subject. Um, you know, everybody has an opinion. And, but even going back then. So we needed to find something that helped us validate. And this led us to, to life cycle analysis. Now, life cycle analysis has been around for quite a while now. And it was something that was being used in other market sectors to validate not just kind of products that are out in the market, but also internal efficiencies, operational efficiencies. So what we've done is, is we've, we, we looked at the software, liked what we saw with the software, and then thought about how we can transition this across to packaging and products. And that was the start of our journey, really. We looked at a lot of different softwares because there's many, many LCA softwares on the market. But we, we finally partnered with one particular software, which had all the things that we were looking for. For example, without going into too much detail for lifecycle, we, we measure across five different factors where some LCAs only measure across four. And what we're doing is LCA is a way of, of looking at a packaging or products or both and going from a raw material straight all the way through to end of life and, and mapping its environment journey and seeing where those touch points are and once you get involved in this and it's very data driven but then it becomes really compelling because the first thing that we do is kind of just like engineering 101 so we always say you know if if you can't measure something then you can't manage it and and effectively that that's what LCA provides it gives you that measurement tool but thereafter 
you then see how important it is to a sustainable journey because it's not just about, okay, X is better than Y and that's our sustainable journey complete. It's just the start because using the data and looking at the whole supply chain allows you to really deep dive into those areas and start to improve and question and question more. So what you get out of this is is a roadmap for success for the future and a roadmap which is constantly evolving but just drives more and more efficiency, you know, the further you go down the line with it. So it's always when, when we talk about it to clients, it's kind of we always go, okay, well let's let's do a let's do a pilot, let's do a project, let's just do one. But every time we do it, we get them hooked into this journey with LCA and they can see the value. And fundamentally what it does do, especially in today's society where, you know, the media is very quick to kind of focus on a particular area of sustainability and really drive that home and and cause us all to panic. LCA is about taking a much more holistic view, but then being able to take that information and validate the decisions that you make. So whether you're in a particular material or whether you're changing into another one, you have the opportunity to engage with your consumers and make them understand because it's all about believability at the end of the day. And if consumers don't believe it, they simply just won't buy into it. That's absolutely fascinating that you're looking at the end to end, the entire life cycle, looking at efficiencies. So this is a part of your work at Medulla. And we, we've had a little look on your website and seen that you're using this, the process equities planet approach. Um, so understanding companies end to end process. Um, you say it makes it more efficient, more sustainable. And what we're really interested in is also profitable because to most companies, this seems like a dream come true. Can you tell us a little bit more about this process equities planet approach? Absolutely. So, so the uh, Process Equities Planet, um, or well, PEP, let's let's find an acronym for it. Um, but uh, essentially, every company does, don't they, these days? It's uh, it's the way of the world. But um, what we did is is kind of LCA is just one fragment of this process because what we what we understood um, from our clients is there are still barriers to to being sustainable. One of the the most perceived barriers is cost after all because if it's too expensive then you know why why would you make the change um so we built pep based on the fact that we can use lca but we can also use it in combination with with some other factors of our thinking so we can take um the pp process equities and planet so we can look at systems from end to end you know not just the materials aspect of it but the systems themselves we can look at how long it takes to get from concept to creation for a, for a product. We can look at a brand and its equities because one of the things, if you're speaking to any marketeer, it's kind of, okay, I want this sustainability or I want this innovation, but or I want even this rationalization of my brand, but you cannot touch the equities. And those equities might be visual or they might be touch, smell, and you know, any of the senses. But it's about driving those equities out as well. And then fundamentally, we're overlapping the planet. Now, where this this all comes together is that we combine the LCA sustainability piece with with a total cost of ownership piece. And and in balancing the two, what we see is the most sustainable routes, but we also see the costs of those those routes. So it's, it's almost like we're building for each client a really effective business case. When we go through the different lenses that we then apply, so we look at when we're looking at, and this can be a new or an existing brand or a new material, whatever it needs to be, but we can look at what the consumer values are. We look at what the brand values are. Um, we look at what the business values are. So that's the bottom line. But also more importantly, and something which is quite optimistic, is the retail value because 
you know, for, for any product, uh, the retailers have a massive amount of power in this conversation. So we, we, we overlay all these lenses as part of the model that we built. And ultimately, what it drives together is, is a very efficient roadmap for the future, but a roadmap built on very, very fixed business cases that almost challenge the way businesses would, would approach something of this nature. So what we've done is, is we can go, our PEP produces ultimately a report um, which removes all the barriers. So all the reasons not to do something can be answered within our operating model. So the business case is very self-sufficient. And if we go up to C-suite level, because let's face it, this is where people have the budgets and the money, um, we can face those questions head on so that there are, there are no reasons not to do something, um, but actually give people something which is sustainable and innovative and optimized. Now, those three things, you know, if, if I go back to my kind of previous consulting days, it's kind of, if we achieve one of those things on their own, then that's a project. But with our model now, we, we can achieve all three together at the same time. You know, I kind of, it's almost like that kind of smashed avocado thing. It's kind of, we, we push everything together to give this, this perfect alternative coming out. So we can, we can hit all the directives. We can speak to marketing and operations at the same time. You know, and the old adage of never the twain shall meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. We can do this now. We can make something more efficient. We can give you what you want for on-shelf presence and we can drive the sustainability. So it's a very compelling model. Um, and we've put a lot of detail into it and we continue to build out on it. But um, it's something that allows us to move away from any of the, the, the facets that we do and build everything in combination. Have you got any examples of this in action that you can share with us? Or is it all very top secret? Top secret? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we do we, we do send we obviously we do get strict NDAs for most of the work we do. And so I can give you a few examples without mentioning the clients. Um, but for, you know, for, for one, I mean, one, one of the thing is we have, we've used the model to create a new material development. It will, um, it's going into market soon, which is why I can't really mention it, but it'll be a market, first to market. It has cost parity with the, with the existing materials that were being used. And it has at least a 50% lower environmental footprint. So great ticks in all boxes. In another client that we used it for, we were asked to come in and just look at driving um, savings more than anything. But we managed to, to change the way of their thinking. So the savings that we put on the table were over $30 million. We also gave them some recommendations to tweak the efficiencies for sustainability, which gave them, again, a lower environmental footprint, which was very important because this particular brand was built on being environmentally you know, secure. And also, we, we've helped them with the innovation channels because the innovation channels is not project by project. It's about thinking about how you integrate sustainability into innovation. So what we're going to see from them over the next couple of years is releases into market that actually continue to drive the same sustainability directives, but are clearly innovative at the same time. Really interesting. Love how that all comes together kind of holistically. You talk about these lenses. And I think when, when coming up with the alternative, the viable alternative, one of the things that often gets considered is the material the material switch to be more sustainable. Now, we did a little bit, full disclosure, we did a little bit of stalking uh, on social media <laughs> and we noticed a, a little bit of LinkedIn um, activity on your part where you talk about a book 
called uh, Plastic Paradox. And I'm kind of paraphrasing what the book uh, is, uh, is about, the kind of blurb. And the, the book says that it reveals a truth about plastic and the environment. And it uses data from over 400 scientific articles to suggest that plastic, this big bad um, boy of, uh, of sustainability that we hear about every day, um, is actually a much greener choice than the public, than we are led to believe today. Now, I think you'll appreciate that that's a really challenging uh, perspective. Like I'm getting, and probably our listeners are, are getting visions of blue planet, sea spiracy, uh, turtles and snared and plastic rings and so on. So could you give us a little bit more information on the positives and negatives of plastic in this kind of plastic paradox paradigm that, that you talk about? Absolutely. So, so Chris, Chris Diana is the, is the author of the book and he is pretty much for me, the most knowledgeable person on the planet in terms of plastics. And, and I, I read the book and, I, and it really fascinated me because, again, everything we do is based on factual validation. And, and Chris has gone to the time, he spent his own time to go out and research all the data which is available. And he has trawled through not just LCAs, but also, um, you know, kind of rafts and rafts of information to try and give a different perspective. And really what we've done is we've taken something like plastic, which... Really, the drive for plastic came in the 70s and was driven by the retailers because consumerism was increasing and we needed something to protect our products, especially in fast-moving goods. And now we have this, this backlash. And, you know, you're quite right. A picture, you know, tells a thousand, a thousand words in its story, doesn't it? But the images are quite haunting. And, and whilst I would, you know, completely agree that no materials should be in, in the sea, not just plastics. And we seem to have focused on plastics as, as the problem. And, you know, it's kind of plastics as themselves. Plastics cannot walk into the sea by themselves. You know, they don't have this, this kind of function like a baby turtle to kind of make their way to the seabed. So it starts, it starts to question kind of what's going on with the material. Now, We've had that. We started this journey probably two or three years ago with, with mass hysteria in the media. And, and I've done a lot of research into it and, and kind of, you know, the, the book, please, you know, if you get the chance, read the book and make your own opinions. I'm not pro or, or anti any material because I think in a sustainable society, there is room for any material. It's about finding the right one for each purpose. But in terms of what the, what the book does and, and the investigations that you do thereafter, it really starts to challenge. So we've had this kind of plastics are not recyclable. And then actually doing the research, you find that pretty much I can't find a plastic which isn't recyclable. The question then becomes plastics doesn't get recycled, which is a different issue. And then you say, okay, well, why isn't it getting recycled? Because the infrastructures are not big enough to deal with the recycling. I think the UK's infrastructure is 360,000 tonnes a year, and that capacity is bust. So if you're a brand coming onto the market at the moment and you want recyclable material for your product, you cannot guarantee that it will get recycled. And this is part of the ownership problem that we've got. We've moved from it's not recyclable to it is recyclable or it might not get recycled. And then it's kind of we're moving into all these kind of traction points. And then in speaking to a lot of the material manufacturers and the um the OEMs, as, as I do in, in my line of work, you get to understand things that you take something like PET, which is, is used a lot in carbonated drinks, and you would say, oh, that's a single-use item. Um, but recycling PET, there's, there's the PET out in the market, which has been around 20 years and has been recycled over 10 times. 
So it's fully recyclable. It's it's really just up to us to build the systems. So when when I see things like the recycle rates for plastic are low, then for me, that's not about saying we should ban plastics. That's about saying, okay, doesn't that provide the perfect impetus to build some more infrastructure? Because that's just a market working way to happen. So rather than condemning the material, it's it's kind of, again, using the lenses to think about, hang on a minute, we need to embrace this in a different way. Why is any waste going into the ocean? Is it because the infrastructure is not there? Is it because as consumers... We are wasteful. You know, I generally say we are at this moment in time a pretty wasteful society. And that's that's in materials, um, but also in, in kind of food. You know, food waste, for example, is part of the sustainability equation. Food waste accounts for $4.3 trillion a year, which if you equated it to a country, that would be the third biggest country in the world, just in food waste. And yet what we're trying to do is ban a material which has a lot of good points. And I think the other thing to bring into the mix here is, is kind of consumerism itself. It's kind of, we want our blueberries, we want them 365 days a year, and we want to be able to go down to the local shop and get them. And unless we have the right kind of packaging protection around them, because first and foremost, packaging is about protection. The aesthetics and everything and the functionality, that comes later, but it has to protect. And if we lose that, and if we start to make movements to other things, then they're not going to affect because it is all cause and effect is what's going to happen. So if you bring your fresh fruit to market and there is no protection around it, then you have to expect a higher degree of degradation. And if you're not using the right materials to, to connect in, in, in exactly the same way, then you have a, a shorter shelf life. So there's all these things going on and they've been hidden away because you're right that the sight of a, of a whale or, or a turtle in the ocean is far more harrowing. But if you read Chris's book, what he's actually done is he's gone into the level of saying, okay, well, let's quantify this. And as shocking as it may be, it's kind of, there are more, there are more turtles be, be killed by, by kind of fishing than there are through plastic. You know, one of the things which the Greenpeace and the World Wildlife Fund have done, for example, published reports, plastics takes thousands of years to degrade. Well, plastics has been around for about 100 years now. So I can't find a scientific experiment that says that we can take something which is only 100 years old and determine how long it will take to degrade. And most things do degrade. So there's all these kind of swirling things going on. And the reason that Chris wrote the book is he wants the, wants the public to read this so that they can make their own decisions. And clearly, after they read the book, um, then, you, then you, know, you are quite right. If you still believe plastics is not a great thing, then you can move out. But where I come from is plastics is a material that should be part of the sustainable equation. And what we do if we ban anything, whether it be a, a product, a plastic straw, or whether it be material in general the thing is just by banning something is not going to take that problem away it just creates a, a different problem for somebody else to solve and I, and I think this is where a few people are going wrong at the moment and, and you know this is you know going back to the lca we can use that to validate and make the right decisions but um but yeah it's 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 a great book i would really recommend you uh, you check it out in full I think we'll definitely have to read it. Um, yeah. You've, you've uh, sold it to us, definitely. It sounds like a really interesting balance argument. 
Um, you mentioned how like in the 70s, the retailer drove packaging because to protect the goods and also how um, plastic helps against food waste. Um, so there's a lot of different stakeholders in plastic. There's the consumer, there's the retailer, there's the manufacturer, there's also government legislation. And then there's obviously the brands who they can use it as a, as a marketing material. Who do you think is responsible for the material um, and making change so that we can fulfill the recycling requirements that we need or to make sure that this doesn't end up in the wrong place at the end of its life? That's a great question. And I think the answer to that is, is everybody. I mean, there's a there's a lawsuit going on in California at the moment um, where the, the Green uh, Alliance in California have taken Coca-Cola to court. Um, and what they're doing is they're, they're suing Coca-Cola saying that you are responsible for all the product that you make. Now, for me, personally, I feel that's a step too far because can Coca-Cola control its consumers and control its consumers' actions? Can they move material? Yes, they can. Is it the right thing to do? Well, Coca-Cola have been a big proponent of LCA, uh, just like Nestle have. You know, So for us, I kind of think they must have a plan to do what they're doing. But in terms of the responsibility, we've had brands, especially brands and, and retailers, we've had them waiting for the government to tell them what to do next. And the, you know, there is no silver bullet. And the way that it gets quite fascinating is you can have two products in the same market competing, but their LCAs will be different because their supply chains are different. So each time we do an analysis, it's based on a unique set of variables. So PET could be the right move for, for one, but one could be the right for the other. It's, it's how you validate that and how you make that believable to your consumers. For me, the responsibility there lies with kind of manufacturers and brand owners. I think that from a government level, Clearly, the you know, especially our government have had other things to think about over the last two or three years. But clearly, this is something which is not going to go away. So they need to get more on board with it and stop making maybe unilateral decisions about kind of banning things and you know, really kind of ask the experts more to give them the point of view. But I think the things are more infrastructure and better education will will create a shift. Um, you know, you have consumers who you need to get them to form different habits, um, and right now. You know, if, even if you look at different uh, different boroughs across London uh, and, and the UK and everywhere, you've got different bins and different collections, and it's very, very confusing. So there's got to be simplification. You know, even if you see, if you do your, your shop and you're looking for some kind of validation on pack at the moment, you know, this is my challenge. It used to be a three-second purchase decision walking down the supermarket aisle and saying, I want this brand or this brand. But now we're going, okay, well, you know, how many calories has it got in it? What's it contain? Does it have palm oil in it? Is it gluten-free? You know, and we're going down all this route. And then we've then got 450 potential different labels that we can put on pack that give a different connotation to sustainability. And quite rightly, consumers are going, you know, I, I just want to buy the thing and I, and I want to consume it um, and I want to put it in my bin. So there has to be some simplification as well as the education. So so I think there's, there's a government there I would... I've always said that, you know, kind of brand owners and retailers provide a really fascinating compendium if they come together to drive the, 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 the infrastructure. Because if you look at somewhere like, uh, like the Netherlands, part of that weekly shopping journey to go to your jumbo store is to bring back your packaging from the week and put it into the relevant areas that then get recycled. And it's their consumer habit. So what do we need to do to change that for our consumers here? So I think that they have a responsibility. Clearly that 
you know, we, we have a responsibility as, as designers at the front end as well to ensure that sustainability is always in our thinking, but the onus is not always on the designer. It's not the designer's fault if we go all the way down, because obviously from design to, to finalization, things tend to be maneuvered about. So we need to design with sustainability in mind, but it has to follow through. It is a system we're trying to build after all. So, you know, it's kind of sustainable systems now. That kind of thinking is, is the future. But it, but it has to go through all the touch points. And, and if any of those touch points switch off on the way through, then it just simply doesn't work. So we see things like refill systems in market at the moment. Great idea. You know, we use less packaging, we use less product, we use less material. But then you're asking the consumer to change a habit. And you have to ask them, well, how difficult is that habit? And if it's too difficult, they simply won't do it. You know, so, so there's some things coming onto the market and they're coming onto the market for the right reasons. But it needs to have that joined up thinking all the way through. We're just going to ask you one more question, a bit of a fun one before we wrap up. So if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and make one change sustainably for the good of uh, people or planet or profit, what what would you do? What one change would you make? Do we only get one? We'd probably do with about 20. But, but I, I would say, I, th- I think the thing is that for me, um, the, the, the first point here is, is that as a society, we just need to think about what we're doing you know we are we are very wasteful you know and and it might be we need to maybe balance consumerism a little because you know we, we've all grown up kind of going with you know, we want we want we want and it's more about kind of maybe looking at what we need rather than what we want and from that i think you know just that fundamental change in behavior will allow us to be more caring and, and not just about packaging but about everything in general and that kind of that value and that that sense of being, I would hope, would kind of expand outwards and maybe cause everybody to kind of you know put more focus on driving these things through. Amazing! Thank you so much for joining us. That was great. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Earth Matters from Path. Stay up to date on everything Earth Matters at wearepath.com forward slash earth hyphen matters you can also follow us on linkedin facebook and instagram and for more ideas inspiration and future thinking check out our trends reports and thought pieces on wearepath.com forward slash thinking thanks for joining us Thank you.